0: Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead
1: of lawyers. that fixed up. Here we are once again on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Good Saturday afternoon to you, Harry Alexander with you, and uh, on the other side of the uh, the glass, as ding, it were, ding, was uh, my good friend and companion, well not companion, companion. But Andre.
2: Okay, that sounds a little bare yeah, here. that sounds it. a little,
1: hmm. Yeah, there ain't no Brokeback Mountain here. <laughs> um, <laughs> bunker de France. <laughs> We're off to a good start. Very yeah, sure are. Uh <laughs> today we are talking about uh Junior Bonner and with us to talk about that is a uh senior editor for True West magazine, Stuart Rosebrook. Stuart, good afternoon to you. How are you doing, sir?
3: I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I oh. uh, it's a great honor and uh you know, I will uh just give you one little update. I have been promoted. Um recently to the position of editor at True West and yeah. uh, I started with him in 2013 and so excited to uh take the helm of the uh, of the great magazine.
2: Good. Is that Good. editor and janitor or just editor?
3: <laughs> well, we do it all. So. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now I'm well, trying to All f- up. You got lots to wear. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, this is a great this is a great opportunity. I want to thank really thank you for Coming on the show because, you know, we're talking about uh, your dad and Junior Bonner, the movie, but really we're talking about Junior Bonner, the making of a classic with Steve McQueen and Sam Peckinpah in the summer of 1971. And I've been reading the book, I read the article, you know, in True West, which is a great article, both articles. And this is just really, I think, a special show we're going to have today.
1: Very special.
3: Well, I'm really pleased to be on here and be able to talk about the movie and, uh, you know, its, uh, place in, uh, Western film history. And I know that, um, there was a special moment a couple years ago, um, I think it was 2016, um, my dad and I were able to come down to the Tucson Festival. And I believe, um, that was the one and only time he and Abel met and had a great time catching up on film and writing and Aww. radio and television and film and, uh, I'm just so sorry that the two of them never got connected uh on the radio together. I know they oh, would yeah. probably take up half a day talking about everything that they loved about the West and uh and its culture and film and so Junior Bonner is a special film and uh, it's um it's really uh gained a great following since its debut in nineteen seventy two sure. and I think is really appreciated more and more every year for what it for what it is as a as a American classic.
2: Well, why don't you take us back to that Labor Day in September? Well, before we do that, oh, okay. before we do
1: that, um, if, if it's okay with everybody else, uh, I'm going to uh, run a clip here—the uh, the trailer for uh, Junior Bonner—and I have to do that, and then I have to do that, and then I have to find it. <laughs> yeah, it I it? got too many doggone things uh, uh, open here that you are got too many buttons. You? you think so? I know so. Uh, Where are you? I I know you're missing a
2: button.
1: You're missing a button. I'm missing a button. Here it is. Boy, oh boy, are we ready? This is a two and a half minute trailer, so uh, give it a listen. And those of you on the YouTube, uh, it's something to watch. Uh, it's good audio anyway if uh, you're not on the YouTube. So, uh, but in any event, uh, here we go. This is the uh, trailer for the movie 1972 movie, Junior Bonner. Eyeball or ear.
0: Steve McQueen as Junior Bonner. There never was a horse that couldn't be rode. There never was a cowboy that couldn't be rode. Things will scene right? Steve McQueen as Junior Bonner. He has only one problem. The 20th century.
3: Boys, times have changed. You ought to take
0: up another line of work. Yeah, I'm working on my first million. And <laughs> you're still working on eight seconds. Rodeo time. Finish, like i got to get it on down the road. I'll be in town this weekend, honey. Look for me downtown. Welcome home,
2: yeah.
3: You got a
0: girl?
3: Why? Why not?
0: You're just some kind of motel cowboy.
3: Either shake your hand or bite it off.
2: Well, it happens all the time, dude. I picked up 35 bucks in a Reno. I couldn't get a decent ride. Let me $15, eh? You already owe me $25. Well, that's $40. Now, you might as well face it. You're just not the rider you was a few years back. I need it, Buck. It's my hometown. But
0: I'll do all right in the frontier days unless all the good die. I'm watching. I was raised in... I'm a, to side, win top money. I'm a man yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. If this world's all about winners What's for the losers? We could have won We did Ace eh? You're my brother Man I guess I love you, you Gotta go down the the road I'll park my two horse trailer up at the Rodeo
0: grounds and I'll start roaring I'm a Rodeo man Steve McQueen as Junior Bonner The Last of His Kind
1: Yeah, definitely The Last of His Kind, I, I would uh, suspect. <laughs> it was a, a pretty good movie.
2: You know, that was it sounded like a heck of a trailer because I couldn't yeah, see it. Yeah. But it really it capsulized the movie.
1: Yeah, it did. It, really it did. did. And uh, I've also got a ton of other pictures here that uh, Stewart sent to me. Unfortunately, Stuart, I don't, I can't find my picture of you to put up here. So, uh, yeah, we'll, I might have a picture. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it here in just a little bit. Um, probably Bunker's going to find one out of out of True West.
2: Yeah, it's a good one too.
1: Anyway, it's the it, the the movie. Junior Bonner was uh, directed by Sam Peckinpah and. I tell you what, you can definitely tell that it's Peckinpah, who's who's doing the uh, directing of that. Everything slow motion. And wasn't there a quote, Stuart, from um, from uh, Peckinpah who said, "I made a I made a a feel good movie," or I'm going to paraphrase, "Made a feel good movie. Nobody got shot, and nobody came to it." Here
2: we go. Here's Stuart. Yeah, there
3: was a, there was a lot of conversation about um, the release been. of the film. And, um, one of the backstories on, uh, Junior Bonner is it was one of the last two films that ABC, um, made, um, for, for cinema. Uh, mm-hmm. Cabaret and Junior Bonner were their last two films, uh, released in 1972. And, um, there was a big trend in ABC to, you know, the big youth movement, uh, that was happening in television and music mm-hmm. and, um, and film. And ABC was shifting to television and music. That's where they were going to put their future, you know, for profits. Mm -hmm. You know, the business is all about making money. And Sam and Joe Zan and Steve all argued that the film should be released um, slowly, Mm -hmm. um, not a wide release, and um, uh, to kind of, you know, gain some momentum, some buzz, And they both recognized as veterans of filmmaking that, um, you know, if you put it on wide release and it didn't, you know, keep the audiences coming in, that it would, um, you know, it wouldn't make the profits back. And both Sam Mm -hmm. and Steve had their own money in the game too. So, um, that was something that, um, uh, you know, affected everybody. You know, Sam moved on to the getaway with Steve uh, and Alan McGraw and, um, but uh, for my dad, in his career, um, he he actually ended up turning to television for the for the basis of his for the majority of his career. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's that game of trying to make living mean, as a writer. And he talks about that very openly in the book. I think that's one of the one of the most honest memoirs of a writer in Hollywood. You um, know, uh, that in mm-hmm. Junior Bonner, and it's a it's a morality tale a morality tale within itself in the, uh,
1: the Hollywood business yeah everybody wants to make money as a writer no question about that And it is awfully, awfully
2: difficult to do so you know the no big deal though between the writers and the producers the writers are writing something most of the time from their heart mm-hmm. and the producers are writing something from their pocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> imagine that yeah. yeah, I know it sounds kind of jaded but that's my opinion
1: how, Stuart how old were you well, I
2: think... at... oh, go ahead
3: uh, I was eight, eight years old when um, uh, I was born in '63. So, okay. uh, eight years old when the movie was being filmed, and I okay. was in Prescott that summer um, during some of the production and the parade. And um, uh, so it was a big, uh, it was a momentous time for for us and the family in my dad's career. It was a pretty exciting times.
1: What, what did you think about it as an eight year old? Uh, being, ex- well, I imagine you were exposed to a lot of stuff uh, in California uh, before, but you know, being an eight-year-old being on the movie set. Our our friend Michael F. Blake always talks about how he was uh, uh, enamored with uh, uh, James Arness and finally got to meet him on on a set. You know, as uh, he was a child at the time. Blake was child actor. Yeah, and uh, he thought it was like wow, <laughs> the cat's pajamas. So how was it for you?
3: You know, um, it was it was pretty remarkable. The, the, I was very familiar with Prescott and uh, Yavapai County because um, I had spent we had spent so much time as a family and myself at uh, the nearby form school and at summer camp where my dad mm-hmm. had attended in the forties and fifties, mm-hmm. and so that was very familiar to me. Um, I was kind of adopted by um, Doug Taylor who was staying at the Prescottonian Hotel, where a lot of the yeah. actors stayed, where my dad was.
1: There's a great and, babysitter. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, of all the actors that I met and actresses, um, you know, we would, you know, uh, meet politely, you know, be brought into the room. There would be Robert Preston and I, Lupino. We met Steve McQueen really briefly. But yeah. Dub uh, took me out for rides in his uh, Toyota Land Cruiser. and <laughs> uh, nice. um, That's one of the... And then Casey Tibbs became a very close friend of the family um, during, the, um, during the making of the movie with my mom and dad. And then afterwards, he became a regular um, at my folks' house in uh-huh. North Hollywood.
2: Hmm. You know, there's a, you you have the great Casey Tibbs story in there about the rooster. I've got a Casey Tibbs story about chicken. When we were <laughs> doing Dirty Dingus McGee, he went up to uh, Bert Kennedy, the director, and he says, Bert... I've got a stunt chicken I want to get on the payroll. <laughs> and Bert loved him so much that we actually had a stunt chicken on the payroll. All right. Now,
1: in the movie Junior Bonner, the the scene where he's returning home and he's pulling the horse trailer with his Cadillac and goes into the uh, construction area and has to back up, <clears throat> back up that horse trailer and caddy and, and get out of there before the heavy equipment dumps rock on him. Well, stunt horse? being used in the trailer? <laughs> Probably well, no that, horse,
2: but the, they might—they might have had the Porter's uh, stare, uh, what do you call it? Fiberglass horse? A fiberglass horse. Yeah. Uh, just one of those questions. That's a good question, Harry. Well, I've thought about that myself many a time. Yep.
3: <laughs> I, that, for that scene, I think he, he had the real horse in that in that oh, scene. It was at nice. the end of the film where they were in the last week of um, of the production that there was. Um, a quarantine on all horses in Yavapai County. Oh. And um so they actually had to go and borrow the horse off of that off of the front mm-hmm. the you know the false front of in there on in Whiskey Row and take it down and use it in the back of of uh of the trailer. And mm-hmm. um, so in those scenes, Steve driving leaving um Prescott on the uh, 89A that's uh, out there in the Prescott Valley below mm-hmm. Mingus Mountain. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that's that fake horse in the back of the back of the trailer. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know the Orm School. That's played a big part of your dad's life and part of your life too, hasn't it?
3: Most definitely. You know he his uh, he was diagnosed with uh, asthma uh, as a seven and eight year old. His father was in advertising in New York. Um, he was actually living in Connecticut, and uh, his dad was in advertising, and. Um, they made the choice to send him to boarding school, and um, the Quarter Circle V-Bar Ranch School, as it was known then, um, was uh, had 15 students at a one-room schoolhouse, and um, that really defined my dad's uh, childhood uh, and uh, and life. And um, it was a trip back to Yavapai County that summer of 1970 that uh, inspired the story. But um, there's. Uh, a lot of my, when my dad started reflecting on the film and writing the uh, memoir, one of the pieces that came out was how the script spoke to Sam and Steve mm-hmm. um, on a personal level, uh, mm-hmm. family, land, um, uh, and even the dysfunction of of your choices in career. And mm-hmm. um, there was a special place for both of them in making the movie, and I think it was. I think you said earlier, a lot of writers write what they know. They write from the heart. And, um, the more you listen to the words, and it's, it's a, it's really a play. It's a, it's a, a mm-hmm. very Steinbeck in its, mm-hmm. in its, um, style, Hemingway. And, um, it's a short story about, uh, family and, um, dysfunction and land and, um, the changing times. And I think that was a, a, something that if you look at, Steve and Sam's career and the roles they chose and the scripts that that Sam chose; mm-hmm. these were tensions in uh, the and uh, dramatic and drama that they both um, sought out in their careers. And, and Sam really investigated changing times and and yeah, the yeah, drama yeah. behind that. If you look at the <laughs> Wild Bunch, or Ride the High Country, he mm-hmm. um, really did have to do that very well. Yeah,
2: you know uh, what? One of the interesting things is you know, as you pointed out in the book and also, I think, in the article in True West, which is a great article, by the way, but, uh, you know, the father issues for the three men, and then at the time that when Sam got the script, uh, his mother had put the family ranch up for sale. So it was, I think, it probably really, like you say, really cut to the quick.
3: Yeah, hit home. Oh, most definitely, and um, I think that... uh, that scene you're talking about there there's there's at the homestead um, and is really the most violent scene with the fewest words in the whole film
2: mm-hmm.
3: it's um, and it's that it, that is filled with the symbolism of the west you know the homestead, family home, uh the changing west, you know if you look at the three changing the guard, his father as the rodeo cowboy, but now he's confronted in 1970, what we would see in the early 70s is the new cowboy, right? The construction, you know, the construction mm-hmm. worker, the new uh, right? Um, and um, you know, the, 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 just to, that cutting, if you look at how Sam uses um, developed um, slow mm-hmm. motion and yeah. Wild Bunch, and then later on in the getaway and um, Pat Garrett and, you know, on and on. But that slow-motion uh, editing and, and and the cuts made back and forth between Steve, his memory of his dad in the homestead, and then just watching the, the home being wiped out. Um,
1: yeah, you could see it, there was... Uh,
3: the, it spoke you, to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, you could see there was a lot of anger uh, drumming up inside uh, the uh,
2: McQueen character. <laughs> well, you know, it's also... You're seeing... The West changing from the rancher to the developer. Right. And it's all about land, but it's just a a whole different use of the land.
1: And speaking of all about land, we're at that point where we got to take our first commercial break. So with that, Stuart, hang on the line. We will be back with you and much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these very, very important messages. Do not... I repeat do not, do not go away
0: let's go spark and I'll run out the rig and we'll go driving down the lane for the moon is mellow and the wise old owl says we won't be bothered by rain well, Voices of the West will right Old Dobbin will understand that of boy- The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at tucsontrapandskeet.com.
1: Tucson Estate Planning, where attorneys Ron, Zach, and Chanel Schmitz design estate plans to keep you out of court.
3: There are so many people who say they do estate planning. What they're doing is they're
0: just picking up forms. It's not a lot different than just going on and getting your own forms and filling them out.
1: That causes a lot of problems. We know what goes to court. We know what problems come up. Zach and Schmitz PLC, estate planning attorneys you can trust. 520-664-3420, TucsonEstatePlanning.com. Ken Curtis,
2: Patsy Montana.
0: Voices of
3: the West.
1: And we are back on Amel Franzi's of Voices of the West Saturday afternoon for us anyway. Don't know what day it might be for you. Um, we are or talking or year
2: for that matter? Or
1: what year? Pardon me, we are talking with Stuart Rosebrook, uh, editor, big time editor. We'll call big you that,
2: Stuart. He's
1: the head kahuna uh, for True West Magazine. And um, the uh, little glitch that we had there before, Rodeo Man from um, uh, Rod Hart, Miss um, um, Amanda was trying to tell us about uh, all the artists that one can hear on the VOW radio channel oh, when this uh, show is not on. That, well, you know, there's Eddie Dean. There's, uh, we got some uh, Jimmy Wakely. Got some Jimmy Wakely. Tex Ritter. Tex Ritter. Ken. Some of the old time singing cowboys. Oh, well, yeah. Some I of mean, the modern cowboys. And some cowboys. modern stuff as well. Yeah. We, we, In fact, we do a lot of local music that uh, local artists. Singing local, Yeah, artists who have appeared on the show with us yeah. and have been gracious to pass on their CDs to us. And by God, we'll. And I'll some play. of them are pretty good cowboy poets, too. You know, they certainly are. Yeah. So. That's what's going on there. So
2: back to our discussion here with. Well, uh, you don't, uh, Go ahead. I, I'm sorry, I stepped on your I stepped on your tongue. That's okay. <laughs> well, you know, since we're talking about music, you know, Jerry Fielding did the music for Junior Bonner. Yes, he did. But what's really unique is that Jeb had a big say about the music. that was actually played on screen. The Jukebox music at the at the Palace Saloon and mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think that might be something that uh, Stuart could really fill us in on is, is, you know, his dad's choice of music, because it's unusual for a writer to have that kind of influence yeah. in the picture. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead, Stuart.
3: Well, that's something that's really unique about my dad's relationship to the whole above-the-line and the below-the-line crews. You know, he Joe was in, um, brought him in, helped develop the script with him, and... Uh, Country music uh, has always been at the heart of my dad's, who my dad was. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's almost the only music that we grew up listening to. And I can tell you, in the late 60s, early 70s, -hmm. uh, the Johnny Cash Show was on every week. It was Merle Haggard. It was Ernest Mm -hmm. Tubb. It was uh, Mm -hmm. Willie Nelson, um, Hank Williams. Um, Actually, uh, one of his next books was going to be you know, titled Chasing Hank Williams. And one of the first wow. stories he ever went to write was on Hank Williams, mm-hmm. and um, he ended wow. up writing a big story on the Everly Brothers. And so when he wrote um, he wrote Junior Bonner, the music, um, he knew the music uh, was as, part, as much a part of the culture and um, was as much a part of the story. And Buck Owens um, was going to be uh, the cast um, as the house band, Mm. Buck, you know, Buck Owens and the Buckaroos. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, ABC was starting to look at to their end game and how much money they were gonna spend or not spend on their final two pictures. And so um when they decided that Buck Owens was too expensive, you know, they went they uh Sam was brilliant at local casting and so they hired the local house band at the palace to you know, it was um um Bob Cox and um and uh, Rod Hart and um, but uh, you know they Joe was in and Sam's respect for my dad and his um, and the in mu- his knowledge of country music but his also um, I think the tenor that he brought to the script they um, they kept him in the production all the way through mm-hmm. the end of the film which is extremely unusual to have the writer there and um, in the um, with the with Jerry Fielding with Wazanne and Sam helping make those final decisions on what music should be in the film and who should sing it, and Burl I mean, um, Hager, of course, is very influential in the film.
2: Well, you know, I, I think it's interesting too because uh, uh, Ron Hart and his uh, partner there—they actually wrote one or two of the songs that was in the film. If I if I recollect right, am I am I off base?
3: That is correct. Yeah, that is correct. "Arizona Morning" and. Um, Rodeo Man are credited to Rod Hart. They, um, the story goes that, uh, Sam had a script sent over to them and said, hey, um, you guys want, think about writing some songs. And, uh, uh, I really have not been able to get up to BYU, which is where Jerry Fielding's papers are. Mm-hmm. Um, to see the the handwritten notes on the music uh, but what we understand through BMI and ASCAP Rod Hart has the credits for those songs and he was flown over uh, by himself to Hollywood um, to cut those songs um, as backup for um, Alex uh, Taylor right. the, who's the brother of James Taylor and Livingston mm-hmm. Taylor Mm-hmm. Who had signed with Capricorn? Again, he had signed with Capricorn in uh, around seventy seventy one. Um, they were looking to bring um, you know some some youth into the film, and so there was two big songwriters that wrote a, the, a song for the film, and um, you know in my dad's memoir he talks about that day when Taylor showed up and with his entourage and. Um, drunk and stoned and not uh, very polite to uh, Fielding or Sam or Joe, which, you know, um, if you know anything about the business, you know, if those are the three most important people yeah. that you should be uh, um, polite to on the day. You know, if you're cutting mm-hmm. a, a lead track in a Steve McQueen film, mm-hmm. the highest paid movie star in the world, I mm-hmm. think that you would uh, want to do your best that day. And um, in the back, in the room next door, was Rod Hart and uh, Joe Wazan walked into him today? Hey, your this is your shot, sing your heart out,
2: mm-hmm. and he
3: did. That's
2: um, a great story.
3: But nice. um, you know, Arizona Morning disappeared from the uh, soundtrack of the film in the early '80s on the second release of the VHS, hmm. and um, all my research leads to the fact that there was a legal issue on that song, hmm. and um, when the film. Was re-released in October of 2017. Uh, Mike Siegel, who did the documentary uh, on that re-release, uh, beautiful Blu-ray and DVD re-released, and he did um, an interview with my dad. The, um, the he had cut one of the 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 sidebar videos with Arizona Morning, mm-hmm. and he got a very strong letter from Disney to say. Um, the song cannot be used. So, um, Disney, of I would course. say that if anyone out there has got uh, any copies of Junior Bonner with *Arizona Morning* on it, it is uh, very valuable.
1: Well, I have. Uh, hopefully, we won't run into <laughs> those legal issues. I do have uh, Rod Hart with Air- doing *Arizona Morning* coming up here shortly. Uh, oh no, you morning. won't. You
3: can. You can. You can play it. It's. Yeah. uh But what I'm saying is, it's that not. um The movie. Yeah. Um, it's no longer associated. For whatever reason, and um, I don't know if you've ever tried to get an answer from a, a attorneys at a studio. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. It,
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's but just trying, say it's, it's uh, like trying to pick your pet worm out of a can of worms. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, you know, there's a fellow we you know. We've talked about Sam and Steve and the key players, and your dad. But one of the real key players especially at the very beginning with your dad, was Joe Wisen. You know, without Joe, the whole project probably wouldn't have even got rolling.
3: Right. Joe Zan had um, really had left um, his career as an agent to be a producer. He had found um, some uh, good sources of money to back his goals as a producer. Um, He was in uh, production of jeremiah johnson or was about to go into production of jeremiah johnson when um my dad's agent mike wise um uh had uh got notice from joe was that he was looking for a rodeo story um the word had gone out that robert redford was looking for a rodeo story and my dad had one and um when they met the two of them hit it off and um my Joe wasn't much older than my dad, but my dad has always credited him as um, one of the key mentors to him hmm. um, in making that script a, a success. Because my dad would write the pages, send them up to Joe on a location in Utah, he'd send them back. And by the end of um, 1970, they had a script that they could give to um, to, to Sam and to Steve. That's pretty... And that, Joe that's pretty one, fast, is And it? you know, and Joe was one that this is for Steve McQueen. You know, Jeff, yeah. this is who we're writing it for. You know, so but that,
1: isn't that a fast turnaround it's time? True, it's extremely
3: fast. Oh, extremely yeah. fast turnaround, most definitely. And um, um, it was uh, if you read the book and watch the film, you'll start seeing, um, you'll start hearing the voices of, um all uh, all the players mm-hmm. within within the show, a lot of voices of my dad. Um, he's very honest in the book where he talks about um, uh, his uh, option that he had received on an earlier script from James Coburn was running mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And um, this was kind of, you know, he needed one more shot in his hometown. Yes. And as he said, you know, as you hear McQueen tell Ben Johnson, money's nobody's favor, nobody's favor. And um, my dad sure
1: knew that. Uh, don't we all? And on that note, before Bunker moves on <laughs> with... He has well, a, move. I'm
2: staying right here. He here. I'm not this, moving anywhere He has
1: this quizzical look on his face. So uh, <laughs> we're, going, we're going to do a break here. Stuart, hang on the line. We'll be back with much <laughs> more. I know. We'll be back with much more of Abel Franzi's Voices of the West right after these very important messages do not run away. for a property management company here are some things you should consider how long has the company been in business what types of properties can they manage for you and does the company give back to the community well your search is over First, contact the Polash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520 795 2100. That's 520 795 2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you can trust.
3: This is frustrating. It's taken me like five minutes just to load my homepage.
1: Did you try Control-Alt-Delete? Uh-huh. Did you jiggle the cord? Uh Uh-huh. Did you turn it on and off again? Uh Uh-huh. Call Arizona Computer
0: Guru. Don't let viruses get you down. With our Guru Protection Service, we'll keep you virus-free. In fact, if you were to get a virus, we would fix it for free. Speak to a technician right now at 304-8300 or at azcomputerguru.com.
1: Mr. Ed. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse at Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's HorseItAroundRescue.org. Look,
2: I want to correct a little mistake. Untie those men and be quick about it. The cattle thieves are at the wrong end of the rope. Do you remember a night ten years ago, a trader and a son named Wilson? You named that boy the singing kid. Remember? Well, the singing kid has come back, Hook. And before he's done with you, you'll wish a thousand times that he'd finish you right here and now.
0: But I'm not going to do that, Hook. That'd be too easy on you. <laughs>
1: On Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.
2: They're playing my song. I know.
1: There. Harry Alexander along the bunker to France. Our guest on the phone is Stuart Rosebrook, uh, big time editor, head, uh, editor, the Kahuna. The Kahuna. Kahuna in chief.
2: The Big Cheese. The
1: Big Cheese of True West. Of True West magazine.
3: That's Bob Bell. Uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: right. And uh, we're talking about uh, the book and the uh, the book his dad wrote, uh, Junior Bonner, and then
2: the adaptation uh, from that book, the movie. Well, so, you know, you know, we're not. We've been talking about the, the key players, and we've been leaving out one of the key players and one we, of the ben stars. No, no, Prescott. Oh yeah, right, yeah. you know because you know it, it, Prescott goes back to the early 1900s with mm-hmm. Tom Mix, mm-hmm. and. It's still, it's still a viable... I, I wish they'd go do some more stuff up there, but... Uh, you well, know, and, and Ida Lupino, I mean, she went on
1: oh. later to be uh, to, to do a lot of directing. And, well, in that fact, was before she, this, her directing. Right, and, and what I'm saying is she she uh, did a lot of direction of
2: the uh, Have Gun, Will Travel. She was a very important, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, I don't know, iconic figure for for the women during the 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm-hmm. Because she was doing what you know they were all what they're all trying to do today, mm-hmm. that she was really doing it well, yeah, she's no question about that, but yeah, you know Stuart because you you spent a lot of time there in your youth and and of course, we know how important it was to your dad, the inspiration for the the story and everything else uh, give us a little background on Prescott you know and your your recollections and what you feel strong about Prescott
3: well I, I think that you know Prescott remains at the heart of arizona's uh, center of arizona history it um obviously uh was the original uh, territorial capital um of the territory of Arizona and has a great heritage of ranching and uh, mining and um, the the heritage of ranching in the area. Obviously, had a great influence uh, on my dad growing up there. And today, when you go back to Prescott, it's one of those cities that still, um, honors its history, uh, from Charlotte Hall Museum to its preservation of its historic buildings in downtown, um, to the Fippen Museum. It's a community that understands the importance of the future. You know, it, 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 and that's what somewhat is prophetic about Junior Bonner, um, but it also uh, honors its past. And it's. I think that that's one of the remarkable things about the filming of Junior Bonner in that mm-hmm. era of directing and producing films in that era. You know, when directors were searching for realism, you find very few movies in which you can say the entire film was made on location um, and much of it in real time. And I think that that's the one mm-hmm. piece of Junior Bonner that remains magical is that it was filmed in real time and it captured a moment in American history in 1971 that um, you you could not have created on a back lot or in any other fashion and um, and the crew was uh, um, truly you talk about Sam Peckinpah's um uh, company, his film company, mm-hmm. the the city, and the company um, became one that summer and the community. And I think that that's reflected in the feel of the movie. And um, I think that um, Sam and Ben Johnson and Casey and you know the crew and the wranglers on the film they all understood that heritage and history of, of the West and the land. And um, um. So I think that that's, there's an essence to the film that captures that uh, history, especially if you watch the parade. It's um, mm-hmm. it's a very all-American film. After 9-11, it was in the top five films that uh, USA Today recommended mm-hmm. uh, for people in the country to watch to, to uh, capture some of that uh, patriotic feeling about what America's all about.
1: That's one of the problems with so many communities uh, these days, out in the West, that they do not wish to recognize their Western heritage.
2: They uh, want to be big city
1: back Tucson east. is a prime example of that, um, where, yeah, we celebrate rodeo, but... Um, they the yeah, a week out of the year r- the celebration is not that great. Let's yeah. put it that way. Well, not, they don't not, get they don't get the old time participation. It's not that. like what I remember the rodeo yeah. being growing up in Tucson in I, the sixties.
2: I remember <coughs> the old Excuse Santa Rita Hotel during yep. the rodeo and during the state fair or the county fair, Pima County Fair. They would always have a prize bowl in yep. a pen in the lobby yep. for the for the duration. Tucson's
1: afraid to recognize its uh, western roots because it might offend somebody. Uh, Too bad.
2: Tucson offends me. Well, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: And isn't Prescott one of the few places left in uh, the west that still celebrates National Day of the Cowboy? I know Wickenburg does.
2: And the Empire Ranch does. And we do
1: down at the Empire Ranch.
3: Yeah, I think it does. But I would say that, you know, the Frontier Days, if anybody wants to experience um, a celebration of the American cowboy and uh, ranching and farming and uh, our our rural small town roots. Mm-hmm. Um, go to Prescott for Front Days and uh, immerse yourself in America. It is mm-hmm. a remarkable week that uh, celebrates that heritage, and um, uh, I've had the pleasure to ride in the um, grand opening, you know, um, of the okay. parade and uh, you know, ride you know ride in the parade. And be in the grand entry of the rodeo. It's um, uh, it's still to me if someone says where do you want to be on the Fourth of July, I'd say Prescott, Arizona, USA.
2: Well, when you think about it, Prescott, Arizona, on the Fourth of July, really paints the whole picture.
1: You know, I'll tell you, I used to live in Key West, Florida, a little island, two mile by four mile, at the very end of the uh, chain of uh, islands uh, off the Florida coast large Cuban population and every 4th of July, you know, the Cuban population was out there really doing up the <laughs> celebration because Don't these are right. These are folks who came over uh, at some point in time, uh, you know, uh, probably after Castro, who knows how they got here, but that's beside the point. They're here, they they are
2: legal people now, legal citizens, and they, they treasure that citizenship. Right. Well, you know, we, we were talking about Prescott, and you were talking about this earlier, uh, Stuart, but how uh, Sam utilized the people of Prescott, but also how the people of Prescott really made the picture come together, and I'm thinking particularly of Bill Pierce, who, was, I understand, was a good friend of your dad's, worked in the picture, and probably without his efforts, it may not have gotten done in Prescott.
3: That's right. There's so much serendipity that happened to make the film happen in such a short turnaround. Um, It was, um, you know, they arrived um, in Prescott, and Bill Pierce just so happened to be the chairman of the jc's rodeo they were the current sponsors and you know um they held the rodeo in those days so he was rodeo chairman he's uh was a very well connected in the business all across prescott and yavapoy county and he just so happened to be the arizona film commission's uh, local agent and um uh bill um knew uh how to handle sam he was unfazed by his uh um, and personality tantrums? and uh, <laughs> wanted, you know, he Bill knew he had a, a moment, right? Each one of us such, can be can remember certain times in our lives when you're standing there and you know you've got a moment. Mm-hmm. And um, Bill Pierce had his moment and uh, when was the last time you watched the movie? At the end of the film, the producers and the studio thank one person for helping make a movie happen. And that's the final credit on uh, when the mm-hmm. when the film rolls. Uh, thanks uh, to Bill Pierce.
1: I've got a photo here. that Just uh, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, no. I've, I, I've got yeah. an I've got an image here, Stuart, that you sent to me, and uh, I, the caption's too small. It looks like it comes from a newspaper. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for the YouTube folk, uh, and it's a a horse being raised up by a crane. Or a boom, to be I guess mounted on the roof of somebody's stores. What that, that was looks. what we
2: talked about that's,
3: earlier. Okay, that's the horse they took down. Okay, uh, in the last week, and that was, of course, remember, Bill Pierce. Um, it was his network um, that allowed the film to easily move to and from and through the city work with the local sheriffs and the police, work with business owners um, to have access to the rooftops to put up the seven cameras for the filming of the parade, um, uh, the, to negotiate with an owner to say, hey, can we borrow your horse? We need it for a week. Can we take it off your wall there? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> there's and- um, you were talking about the construction scene. Um, it rained during the week they were filming the destruction of the homestead and the, and the, mm-hmm. um, and the construction scene. And so Sam went to Bill and said, um, uh, you know, we, we need dust. I, I don't have enough <laughs> dust out here. The rains have settled all the dust out there in that, uh, in that quarry. And uh, so Bill made a couple of calls, according to my dad. And um, you know, the next day, three or four tractor trailers arrived with uh, more dust that <laughs> Sam knew existed. Wow. That was uh, magic of Bill Pierce.
2: And didn't Bill have them dump the dust as close as they could to Sam? <laughs> Maybe
3: so. Maybe so. <laughs>
2: you know, I've, I've, I've got a junior Bonner story personal for myself. I'd been up north working on either Canab or Flagstaff working on the show, And I was heading back down to Tucson to Chaparral. And I pulled through because I knew they were there. And I ran into Mickey Gilbert in the production office. And and we talked a little bit. And Mickey says, come on up to the room for a minute. I need need to do something. So we got up there anyhow. And Mickey offered me a job on the show. And he says, I know, you know, because of being local hire, uh, you'll have to put yourself up. But I've got an extra bed. You can stay here. And, I mean, that was awful tempting. But you know, I was working for Henry Wells, and Henry was my one of my main mentors, and I had to go with Henry. But I often wonder what would have happened if I had stayed. I probably Sam probably would have fired me, but, <laughs> but you know that's beside the point. Or you would have fired him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, goodness! Hey, we got to do our last uh, commercial break here, and the reason we do these commercial breaks is because. People enjoy our show and they want to be associated with the yes, show. They do. So, yeah. with that in mind, we will be back with much more, or actually, our final segment here of uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. That'll be coming to you right after these very important messages. Do not, I repeat, do not go away.
0: we Seven seven
1: seven nineteen eleven. Have you tried to set up your own last will and testament? It's frustrating. One size does not fit all.
3: A will is the only way in Arizona that you can name a guardian for your minor children. You can also use a will to name a guardian for an adult. I like to think of it as not just a way to make sure things go to who you want. A will is a great way to keep out who you don't want.
1: Zach and Schmitz PLC, the experience to guide you through the legal maze, 520-664-3420, TucsonEstatePlanning.com.
2: old-time western radio shows every saturday at 6 p.m mountain standard time only on vow radio
0: (laughs) many (laughs) a year has came and went since the mud creek incident and soap, weed, shot him Welcome back to
1: Voices of the West. He fetched me down to his side and he imparted
2: a heap of good advice. He said, Festers, don't never let a man draw first. He'll
1: shoot your head all full of holes and stuff. He said, Swaller good whiskey. And we are back right here on Able Friends' Voices of the West. The old Fastest Hagen. Yeah. The Mud Creek Incident. (laughs) Right here. (laughs) You heard it first, folks. Uh, I just love finding all of those old, uh, great uh, uh, tunes to uh, play for bump music because... I'm glad you do, Harry.
2: I'm glad you do. It it just... It, it warms the cockles in my heart, you know, and I'm certainly glad I don't cla- have any cockles left.
1: I know we're we're happy about that. On the phone is Stuart Rosebrook, his senior Kahuna editor at uh, True West Magazine, and uh, the son of uh, Jeb Rosebrook, who wrote the book jo- Junior Bonner, as well as the uh, uh, his dad mo- with him, yeah, well, the, the coal. right, and the movie script and all that other stuff. So,
2: well, you know, uh, <coughs> oh, pardon me. Uh, McQueen, he he always said that Junior Bonner was one of his favorite films, but he also had a nickname for your dad. I believe it was Shakespeare.
3: That's right. That's right. There's a that was the unique thing that between them that they developed early on. Uh, there's a couple of good stories in that my dad relates, including um, when they first met, and I've seen some some quotes recently about how detailed steve was on every script and you know he was very um everything he did he did it at the highest level and so when um joe was in and um but and my dad went up to meet with steve to kind of finalize the deal and uh steve had some notes for him uh i think that they were have been going on for about 20 minutes and um you know my dad was taking everything in and suddenly steve stopped and looked at joe and says does he take notes <laughs> and um <laughs> Joe quickly said, "Oh, Joe remembers everything. He, he, you know, he 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 never forgets anything." <laughs> and um, so and on. They went with the meeting, and um, there was something that happened then, and then when my dad met Sam, and <clears throat> that um, Sam brought my dad and Joe brought him to the set and had him on um, on set through the entire production, and I would challenge anybody to look up a Peck and Peckinpah film to do, to find if there was any other film in which the original screenwriter um, gets solo credit and is on the set the mm-hmm. entire production. And um, it was a very unique situation. And um, Steve called my in on another anecdote similar to this that kind of defines the whole Shakespeare, um, the pressure of that, you know, the joke there that he called him into his um, trailer before they filmed the um, the love scene and the dance scene in the palace during the big fight. And he um, uh, he says, uh, uh, Jeb, uh, I've got, I got to ask you one thing here. He says, um, why am I called J.R.? <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a great line.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And, oh, uh belly. So when, um, you know, she asks him, uh, when they're dancing, Barbara Lee asks uh, McQueen, you know, why do they call you Junior? McQueen looks at her and says, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> off they go, and you know, off they go to the phone booth and the rest of the film. But a uh, uh, pretty unique relationship and um, yeah. uh, re- remarkable, remarkable summer.
1: Very very simple lifestyle. Life reflects life. Uh, yeah, and, and I I watched last night a, a Joel McRae western I had not seen uh, South of St. Louis, uh-huh. and uh, in that it, he's he's friends with uh, two other guys by the, the and they have the Three Bell Ranch. Well, it's the Civil War and things start happening and uh, they kind of drift apart and and McRae as they're starting to drift apart, McRae says. I don't understand this. We've always been together. How will we do whatever it is we're going to do without each other? And I thought, wow, well, that that's pretty poignant. Well,
2: you know, this is a thing I I kind of like to jump way ahead now for just a second because you know you got dad, two minutes. Okay, well his, <laughs> your your dad was very active right up to the end. He he had he was working on a series, the American trilogy, the first book, Purgatory Road, which. Uh, has gotten nothing but great praise. It's and you know, and I guess it has the same character all the way through. It, mm-hmm. Charlemagne, or Charlemagne, the Diamondback Rattler. <laughs> and can you tell That's in the, right. the time we got left? What can you tell us about the books?
3: Well, um, again, reflecting my dad's what he you know what my dad's passions were in his own life experiences and writing about. Um, the land the first the purgatory road actually takes place in arizona in the early 1950s um and has a lot of locations between phoenix and uh the orm school and prescott in it and um so uh it was he was working on the third book um in the series um when he um got sick last summer and uh, you know passed away august 31st but um he had he got a hold of this character, this uh, rattlesnake uh, Charlemagne, and um, it really uh, the character um, starts in Arizona, but really reflects some of his roots in Virginia as well, because mm-hmm. the um, you know, the story of land that you talk about, you know, Sam had the experience of being of having his mom, you know, sell the ranch in the Sierras. Is my um, grandfather had a big farm um, outside of Charlottesville that um, he sold in the mid-1950s that was uh, where my father had spent all his summers, a very important place to him. Mm-hmm. And, um, the uh, and of course, you know, Steve never had any home. So the, the idea of displacement from the land. Right. Um, yeah, so this character, um, my dad was able to move and weave back from in and out of um, from Arizona back to Virginia, and um the third nice. book was uh, going to end up in New York in the late nineteen fifties early nineteen sixties kind of a think, little bit of a parallel with his own his own life.
2: do you think there's a possibility that because uh, I know a lot of folks are doing it now going in there and working on your dad's book and finishing it as a as a co project
3: you know what i um that was one of the last things he and I talked about, so I have um I have those chapters, and um, it would take the right uh, partnership um, mm-hmm. between myself and another writer to uh, to finish that. But it would be um, it would be great to do so. I know my dad would it be really would be. happy. Be if we
1: great did memorial. We are plumb out of time, gents. <clears throat> Stuart, uh, thank you so much for joining us thank this you, afternoon. Sir. Really appreciate you taking you. out uh, love some it. time. I it. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, no, th- this this was totally fun, and
2: uh, we'll have you on again. Yes, indeed. Well, maybe we'll make you a regular contributor. I'm sure, Harry. I hope so. Yeah, you know, Todd didn't show up today. we we bring him in as a replacement for
1: Todd. Yeah, Robert's never showed today. He was supposed to be here. So uh, we could have you uh, uh, fill in that (laughs) slot if you're so inclined. And, um, you know, we could have uh, our. He could be our insider. uh, Our true West insider.
3: Yeah. I'd love it. I would uh, love to participate. It would be a great honor. And I'm very grateful.
1: Stuart, thank you so much for thank joining you. us this afternoon. Really appreciate uh, you <clears throat> joining us. <clears throat> Pardon me, and I, I'm still trying to find frog. the voice. Yeah, I got the uh, got the frog there in the in the throat there. Uh, so we are plumb out of time. And mm. until next time, next I reckon week. Uh, next week. Oh, next week it is. Oh, yeah, we're going to do it's movie week. We're going to do uh, Morgan Woodward. And uh, one, of, one of my faves, man. He, uh, Shotgun Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's the character right there. Anyway, he did a lot of them, but we'll talk about that next time here on Emil Franci's Voices of the West. Thank you so much for joining us. Anything else? Adios. Adios. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.